God has a people. Did you know that? God has a people. Now this afternoon, later this afternoon, a few of you might be watching the Kansas City Chiefs play the New England Patriots. <clears throat> there is a backstory that you might be interested in. For the last 10 years or so, our son-in-law, um, Ryan Petkoff, married to Abby, our oldest daughter, has been working as a part of the Hunt Sports Group, which is the Hunt family that owns the Kansas City Chiefs. They live in Dallas. And um, Clark Hunt, Lamar Hunt's son, who formed the AFC, the American Football League, and then that morphed into eventually a competition between the NFC and the AFC, and he came up with the name the Super Bowl. His son, Clark, is the head of the family business now, and Ryan, our son-in-law, has been working directly under Clark for these last years. He is a vice president with the Hunt Sports Group, travels with Clark wherever he goes to the team meetings and various things, various and sundry things. Where I'm going with that is to say to you, God has a people. God has a people. Clark and his wife, Tavia, are very clear, very obvious, not pushy, but very obvious followers of Jesus Christ. And um, they are asked sometimes, well, how do you pray? How do you pray for the chiefs to do? Do you pray for the chiefs to win? To which my daughter will say, well, of course we pray for the chiefs to win. She, she's a competitor from the toenails up, as is Ryan. But the response that Clark has given is that before any of the games, especially one like today that's a very important game, he and Tavia find a place just by themselves before the game starts. And this is the gist of their prayer. Lord, we ask you, regardless of how the game turns out, I ask you to equip me, Clark, to be the kind of leader that the situation today will call for. And I just think that's amazing. The Lord has said, let your desires be made known, and so I'm sure there'll be a whole bunch of Chiefs fans making their desires known, as there will be Patriots fans making their desires known. But God has a people, and God, ha God has his people in place for his purpose, for his purpose. Whatever that is, win, lose, or draw. And, um, but I wanted you to know that. And sometimes when they will show the owner's boxes during the game, and it's not unusual to see Ryan right there next to Clark, and they're doing what they're doing as owners. And um, so that's where Abby and Ryan are today and where they'll be uh, if there's a Super Bowl opportunity. They'll be right there in the middle of that too. God has a people. God has them where they are. God has you where you are. And I want to mention to you today, 
as we start this year, as we move into a brand new season of opportunity, three reasons, three reasons why hope keeps hoping. Let me say that again. Some of you sound asleep. I just want to wake you back up so you respond a little bit. Three reasons why hope keeps hoping. Is there some part of your life, maybe it's a relationship, a friendship, maybe, it is a, maybe it's a dream, maybe it's a business dream, a professional dream, Maybe it's some kind of entrepreneurial dream, but it's something that just won't let you go. You, you've even asked the Lord, Lord, would you, just, would you just help me to get on past this person? Would you help me to get on beyond this thing that I keep hoping for? And he hadn't answered your prayer. It's still real. It's still strong at times. Sometimes it will, it will come on you out of the blue, middle of the day. Sometimes you'll wake up in the middle of the night and there's that hope. There's that hope. There's that hope. Three reasons why hope for the child of God, hope within the spirit of the child of God, why hope keeps hoping. Now this isn't going to do you any good if, if, you're, if you really are working hard to try to get rid of that hope. Uh, this is going to go the other direction, I hope, as you hear some of these thoughts. That instead of just treating them like a casual thought or just something that we need to get, need to get on past, what if what if the reason you can't quit hoping is because that part of your spirit is in agreement with the heart of God? Reason number one as to why hope keeps hoping is this. Because God is the God of hope. He, he is the one who creates hope. He is the one who generates hope. He is the one who articulates hope in the mind, in the spirit of his child. We've been over this verse a number of times in months past, but just need to remind us of it again this morning. Romans chapter 15 and verse 13, notice how Paul puts this. Now, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, that means right now. Not, not, not in the future, not in the past, right now with the things wrong with me, with the things right with me, with the things that I have 
with the things that I don't have. Now, right now, here and now, right now, may the God of hope, the God who authors hope, and that the, the, the linguistics are, are amazingly precise here, the way that Paul puts God of hope together, given to him by the Holy Spirit. It means, it means, it means the God, the God who brings hope, the God who causes hope, the God in a sense who is hope. Now what's hope? Hope is two things. Hope is a wish, a desire, something that you want, could long for, but it's also, and this is the distinctive part of it, it is also matched with an expectation that may defy reason, that may not make any sense, that may not fit into the timeline, but it is the expectation that somehow, some way, it's going to happen. It, it, it's not just a wish, it's a wish plus an expectation, and that equals hope. So don't read hope as the same in the scripture as a wish or as a desire. It's different. It has that added ingredient that somehow, some way, there was a confidence working inside you that what you are wishing for is going to come to pass. You don't know when. You don't know how. You don't know who God, who is the Lord, the Lord is going to use to bring it into fruition, but it's coming. Now may the God of hope the God who has the ability to put within you a wish matched up with an expectation of something that he's going to do for you, he's going to do through you, he's going to do in you, he's going to do with you. Now, and Paul, as he understands how strikingly significant this is to the people of God, to the child of God, we've got to have hope. We need hope or our life is just a flat line. Our life is just bland. We can go through a lot of days or a lot of categories of our lives that nothing real exciting. In other words, you're just kind of getting through it. But here comes hope. The sun rises with hope. The sun's setting in a lot of other ways, but here comes hope and the sun rises and the birds start singing and the, the sky turns blue and joy rises in our hearts. Now, May the God of hope. That's who he is. He, he, he's, not, he's not bored and he's not disgusted and he's not worn out and he's not frustrated. He is the God of hope. He has, he has desires, but he also has the expectation that what he desires is going to come to pass. I want to know that's my father. That's who my father is. That he is a God full of wishes, full of desires, but also matched with expectation that what he wishes, what he desires in my life, in your life, in your family's life, in your business's life will come to be, will come to pass. Now may the God of hope fill you up with all joy. There's that great word here. Joy tied to hope and peace, peace tied to hope in believing so that you may abound in hope. You may overflow with hope. Somebody walk up to you and just bump into you and hope comes out after you. Know, 
that, that, that there's, there's, there's life, there's joy instead of depression and gloom. Now, he's writing this because many of the circumstances within the lives of these Roman Christians was marked with, with extreme difficulty. And, and the days were circumstantially were going to darken around them as time went on and persecution against the church would, would, be, would be very severe. But he's saying to them, in the middle of whatever is going on, in the middle of your now, in the middle of your now, there is a God of hope. And he has the desire to fill you up with all joy and peace in believing so that you may overflow in hope. Now again, what is hope? It's the wish matched with the expectation that God's going to do what he promised he would do. What he's put in your heart to dream about, what he's put in your heart to long for. It may abound in hope. How? How? It comes back to this theme we've been on for the last several weeks, by the power of the Holy Spirit. By the power of the Holy Spirit. So as we've been encouraging the church of Jesus to pray afresh, Lord, fill me. Fill me, Lord, with your spirit. I, I thank you for your truth. I thank you for who you are in so many ways, but Lord, what I really need is for you to take this weak vessel, this sinful vessel, this, this one that can be so full of myself, but I'm asking you, Lord, to fill me with yourself. To fill me with yourself. To fill me with yourself. Now, now, now what's that going to mean? One of the things that's going to mean is he's going to fill you up with hope. He'll keep stoking your hope. He'll keep generating hope. He'll keep working hope into you. So, so when we pray, fill me, Lord, one of the manifestations of that can be and often will be that even when it doesn't make sense, we've still got hope for somebody. We've still got hope for some situation. We've still got some hope for our future and our life. Now may the God of hope, hope keeps hoping because God is the God of hope. Now I want you to leave Romans 15 and find Romans chapter 4 for a minute. I'm going to read. I just need to read this. It just fits in with what we're talking about here. And it has to do with a, with a couple of senior adults now. Senior adults. And um, one of them was a, was a man up in years and the other one was a woman well stricken in years. As we say, there are no old women in the Bible. They're just well stricken in years is how that's put. Verse 17, Romans 4, 17. About Abraham and Sarah, as it is written, A father of many nations have I made you. Well, God had made him that. God had made him that, but he had no heir. Isaac hadn't been born yet. But in the mind of God, Abraham was already not just the father of one son, but through that son and his generations, Abraham was already known to God as a father of many nations. When Abraham, all he saw was the sun rising and the sun setting, and more gray hair popping up, and Sarah getting a little more stooped, and him needing to walk her more often. But God saw him 
as the father of many nations. And some way or another, what God told him about what he would be, though it had not yet come to be, generated an amazing amount of hope inside Abraham. Sarah sort of had to be encouraged along the way. You know, and she she first heard about this and just laughed out loud that they were going to have a child. But the hope was strong in Abraham. So here's, here's how the rest of this reads. All these centuries later, commenting on Abraham. Father of many nations have I made you in the sight of him whom he believed, whom Abraham believed. Even God, who gives life to the dead, the God who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. Now let that in, folks. Let that in, church. In the name of Jesus, open your spirit up and let this in. Your Father, the God who called you to himself, is the one who is able to give life to something that is dead and is able to speak to nothing and call everything into existence. That's your God. That's this God of hope. That's who your father is. Isn't that good news now? Isn't that good news? And look at verse 18. In hope against hope, he believed in order that he might become a father of many nations, according to that which had been spoken, so shall your descendants be. Look at verse 19. And without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body, now as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb, yet with respect to the promise of God. He did not waver in unbelief, but watch this, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God, verse 21 is the key, and being fully assured that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. And being fully assured. Well, where did that full assurance come from? It it means to to be fully assured, to be completely, abundantly convinced that there was no doubt in his mind. Though he was as good as dead and there, and she was well stricken in years, he was, he was abundantly, profoundly convinced that what God had said he would do for them enabled them to birth a child, to birth a son, that it was going to happen. Where did it come from? Where did that assurance come from? Where did that hope come from? Being fully assured. That had to have come from the empowering of the Holy Spirit to his heart. It, it's, a, it's a passive. He didn't assure himself. It wasn't just Abraham just, just on his own thinking this is what God has said. And so on my own, I'm going to just accept that and keep on walking as if that's absolutely true. He's human. He's just like you and me. One day would pass, turn into another. Those things turn into years, turn into decades. More than a lifetime has passed by and it still hadn't happened. How in the world did he keep believing? And how in the world did he keep on growing in confidence that instead of getting so far away from the time God spoke it, he was just getting closer to the time it's going to happen? 
How come he wasn't giving up on what was spoken here and he was just getting more excited about what was coming? It was because he was being fully assured by the power of the Spirit of God who is the same one who works inside you and who works inside me to stoke that hope within our hearts, the hope that God has birthed within us. You say, well, Time has gone by. We'll just take a number and get behind Abraham and Sarah. Time has gone by. We're getting older. Time has passed us. We'll just take a number. The, the, the material, physical properties are just not in place for this to happen. Take a number. Get behind Abraham and Sarah. Being assured, being fully assured that what God has promised God's able to do. Now, now folks, listen. I, we're not talking about this generic kind of thing that believe when we die, one day our hope is that we'll go to heaven when we die. Well, that's true for every Christian. Thank God that's true for every Christian. But what about his word to you? What about the hope that works in you? What about that impossible dream that he's birthed in you? That it may, and you know better than anybody else, it's humanly impossible. But your gaze is on the one who gives life to the dead. Your gaze is on the one who calls into being the things that don't even exist. And as your gaze is on him, the life and power of his spirit raises up within you that sense of hope. That only that kind of God could do in you and could do for you. Oh my goodness, folks. Some of the things that the Lord has wanted to plant within us as hope, things to dream about, things to attempt, things to, to look forward to that we just have pushed aside, set aside, set aside, set aside. Oh, God couldn't do that. Oh, God couldn't do that. Oh, I must have, that must be somebody else he's talking. I just must have made that up. Well, when you, here's the problem. When you pray about that and you put that before the Lord, Lord, will you just take these thoughts, these, these wishes from my heart, these desires from my heart, and he doesn't. And he doesn't do it. And you still wake up with it. And you still find yourself dreaming. And you still find yourself trying to find a little time to work something out right here. That I, then, then just understand, it's not going to go away. Because it is the Lord who has authored that. It is the Lord who has birthed that in you. And it is the Lord who will cause you increasingly, instead of, instead of being less gripped by it, to as, as was with Abraham, the farther he went, the more excited he got, the more anticipated he got. One reason why hope keeps hoping is because God is the God of hope. I just feel like I need to say this. You're not going to be able to tell everybody what all your hopes and hopes are. They're going to, they may look at you in the way that you can look at yourself and say, you? You talking about you? Well, I am talking about me. But I'm talking about the one who is wanting to do this for me. You're not going to be able to tell everybody the secrets that the Lord has told you about you. Some, some may be very close. Some may be able to share. But, but don't be surprised if when you try to do that, try to speak of that, what you're hoping for, that some folks look back at you like, huh? 
it, the Lord didn't make the promise to them. He's working it in you. And all, you know, I'm sure all those folks that came to Abraham and Sarah, you know, Sarah's, Sarah's lady friends would be saying, he's still, he's still thinking y'all going to have a child. So, I mean, you, you realize this and you realize this and we're trying to get from here to the cradle? You, you talk about what we're talking about now. But the Lord hadn't made the promise to them. The Lord had made the promise to Abraham and to Sarah. The Lord has worked a promise in you. And I'm, I'm talking to somebody who may have just, because that dream was so real for a good season in your life and it hadn't happened yet, it's caused you almost to back away from God as a whole. They just kind of move away. I must, I must have been crazy. No, you weren't crazy. It just wasn't God's time yet. Reconnect with him, reunite with him, hold fast to him. And if, he's, if it's going to happen, he's got to do it anyway. So there's no pressure on us except to just keep trusting and to keep looking. Because God is the God of hope. Hope keeps hoping. Here's the second reason. This is not an exhaustive list, just some for our consideration. Hope keeps hoping because love is hope. Because love is hope. Mamas, mama, love is hope. That's why you can't give up on your baby even though he's 45 years old. That's why you can't check out on having a deeper and further restored relationship with grandchildren or with extended family members or with friendships, whatever, whatever it would be. The, 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 when you love somebody, when you love somebody, you care about them. You want God's best for them. When they're young, you care about them. When they're older, you hope for them. When they're struggling, when they failed, when they've been disappointed, when they've been hurt, because you love them, you keep hoping. Now again, hope, hope for the child of God. Hope is not just a wish. Hope is a wish. Hope is a desire. But it's matched with an expectation that one day God's going to restore. One day God's going to bring them back. One day God's going to finish what he started in their lives. Hope doesn't give up because love doesn't die. As long as you love, you hope. You hope. I love this statement. The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 14, specifically, for the love of Christ controls us. For the love of Christ has laid hold of us. It, it literally means has constricted us. The love of Christ. Now he's he's writing to these Corinthian Christians who in some, some ways just, just must have never about run him crazy. He was sent to evangelize Corinth, and, and many came to know the Lord, but, but they, were just, they just brought all kinds of baggage with them. But even though he would have to deal with, with 
you know, gathering for the Lord's Supper, and it turns into a to a to a drunken eatathon. They he had to say, look, look, eat first, come to the Lord's Supper. Said so this isn't about the amount of food or the amount of wine. You handle that at another place. This is about remembering the death and the burial, the gift of the Lord Jesus Christ. That they would even question some of his credentials as an apostle, that they were prone to quickly take up the adversarial side to Paul, even though he was their spiritual father. But look what he says. It's the love of Christ, the love of Christ for you, the love of Christ for you, even though you're mad at me, even if you don't trust me, even though you don't like the things that are being said. It is the love of Christ inside me that constrains us to keep loving you. And then you go on down there, and in verse 17 is where, therefore, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old things have passed away. The new things, it's as if it's the love of Christ working in me that is causing me to hope for that day and be convinced of that day when you'll understand that if any man is in Christ, if any person has come to know Christ, they become a new creation. I love you enough to believe that God's going to turn you into a new creation and you're going to know the sense of that new creation where the old things have passed away and new things have come. Amen. See, that, that, that's the hope for ones we love. They may be a long way away. They may have stumbled. They, they, may, have, they may have done some just some flat-out stupid stuff and stayed there for a long time. But when you love them, hope rises in your heart. That what God started, God's going to finish. And it may not be on our calendar. It may not be on our time frame. It may not be with, with, the, with, with, with the, the, the saving of certain circumstantial things about them, keeping those things in place. There may be some stuff that has just to be blown up, has to be removed. But God in his time and God in his way is going to finish what he started and the new creation in Christ Jesus and the old things passed away and a new creation has come in the lives of one. That's why hope won't quit because the love that God's put in your heart for that one didn't die. Amen. Amen. So as long as you love, there's going to be hope. As long as God is that hope that's within your heart about you and about what he has for you to do remains strong. And the flow continues because love is hope. I just, I just love this every chance I get every time we run by just even close to Luke chapter 15. I'm wanting, you, I'm wanting us to stop at Luke chapter 15. It's that story that Jesus tells us, three stories that he tells to illustrate the Father's heart. What, what, kind, of, what kind of heart this Father God has toward us. And in the room, there were the religious police. There were the ones that were, that were strict adherence to everything that they thought they knew to do with the Old Testament law, and they were very proud of it. And then there were those also in the same room who just struck out, swinging a miss, hadn't, hadn't made a hit in the direction of righteousness maybe their whole lives. They were called the tax gatherers and the sinners. They were 
at the low end of the spectrum, and here are these others at the, what they would perceive to be the high end of the spectrum. And so Jesus tells the stories about the lost sheep and the lost coin and this lost son. Listen to these words. This isn't Isaiah talking. This isn't Paul talking. This is Jesus talking. And he's saying, he's telling this story because he wants common people, ordinary people, like you and me kind of people, to get the heart of the Father, the hope that is in the heart of the Father for those he loves. Verse, four, verse 11, Luke 15. And Jesus said, a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. And he divided his wealth between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country. And there he squandered his estate with loose living. Now when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country. And he began to be in need. And he went and attached himself to one of the citizens in that country. And he sent him into his fields to feed hogs, to feed swine. And he was longing to fill his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating. And no one was giving anything to him. But when he came to his senses... He said, how many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread? But I'm dying here with hunger. I will get up and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. And he got up and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, quickly, bring out the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let us eat and be merry. For this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost. And has been found, and they began to be merry. The hope, the hope that love carries with it. How strong, how strong, how strong is that, is that heart of compassion and mercy and understanding. That that comes from God. We, we, we need wisdom now. We need wisdom as to how to express that compassion. I want you to notice in this story that 
the father of the prodigal wasn't supporting him on a monthly basis. You gave him everything once. Didn't send out SEAL Team 6 to do a snatch. The boy had to run out of everything. The boy had to feel what hunger was all about. The boy had to walk off a cliff, hit his, hit his nose against a brick wall. He, he had to feel it. He had to have it before he would come to his senses. But when he came back to his senses and he returned to the father, the father's heart was brimming with compassion, was overflowing with, and received him back in as though he had never left. Hope keeps hoping because God is the God of hope, because love is hope. And number three, hope keeps hoping because of the law of the harvest. Because of the law of the harvest. Paul will write in Galatians that God is not mocked, that whatever a person, a man or a woman, whatever a person sows, that and that only is what that one will reap. God has promised that what you sow, you're going to reap. Now, we listen to that, and we can hear it, if we choose to, from a negative side. It's a, it's a warning. Don't sow bad seed, or you get bad crops back. You get a bad harvest. But, oh, my goodness, the positive positive side of that. God is not mocked. Whatever seed is sown, a seed that's right in his sight, a seed of righteousness, in this, that context, sown to the Spirit, a seed sown in the ways that please the Spirit, there will be a harvest. The harvest doesn't come the next day necessarily, but the harvest, when it comes, usually comes later, but comes with an exponential expression of the original seed. It's amazing how that can work. Now, the soil that the seed is sown in may be dry, may be barren, with no sign of life. It may be the soil may be a person an opportunity, a dream, a relationship. But you sow the seed. You sow the seed. And the promise is the harvest will come back. The harvest in time will come. God is not mocked. God is not mocked. Whatever you sow, you're going to reap. So then it behooves us to check the harvest, you know, of what we do sense and what we have a lack of. And instead of whining about the harvest, it's important that we check the seed because God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, whatever a woman sows, that's what we reap. So we sow prayer in the name of Jesus. We sow prayer <laughs> In the name of Jesus. We, we sow prayer into that person. We sow prayer into that opportunity. We sow prayer into that dream. We sow prayer into that relationship. Lord, what you want. 
Bring the breakthrough that is of your choice. Lord, I agree with what you want for my professional career, for my professional life, for my marriage life, for my relationship. I, I agree with you in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. This opportunity, this relationship, this person, I'm praying. I'm, pray, I'm sowing the seeds of prayer. Folks, listen, if nothing's happening, are you praying? If nothing's happening, and we wonder, why isn't anything changing? Well, the question needs to be, instead of examining the harvest and letting the full weight of burden be on the harvest, check the seed. What am I asking God to do in that relationship, in that opportunity, and so forth? So prayer. So trust. It's similar to that. It's hard to, for it to be true prayer unless there is trust. But Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him. As you're taking the steps, I'm checking in with him, and he will direct your path. What does that mean? It means that he will, he will get you from point A to, to Z. He'll get you to the destination. You trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't spend your time trying to figure it out. Lord, I'm just sowing trust into this. Folks, listen, there's some of you who have been planted, placed in some situations, and, and, and you can't make any sense out of it. You, you don't know what in the world, Lord, couldn't you have put somebody else in the place where I am family-wise? Well, but what if it's that he has you there, he's placed you there because he wants you in that place to trust him, to trust him, to be in agreement with heaven. Chaos is blowing up all around you or, or nothing seems to be happening, but he's got you there. He's planted you there for the express purpose of just trusting him. I'm trusting you. I'm trusting you. I'm trusting you, Lord. Stuff comes at you. Things doesn't happen. Lord, I trust you. I trust you. And what does he say? Don't lean on your own understanding. He's not going to help you. Trying to figure this out. Trying to get your calendar working. Trying to get your all those things. Lean not on your understanding. And I'll direct your path. I will direct your path. So trust. So prayer, so kindness, so kindness, so mercy, so forgiveness, so kindness, so mercy, so forgiveness. All right, all right. Let's say one. Well, okay, Lord, you must be talking about sowing those kind of things to some other folks that aren't like the people that I know and that I have to deal with that I have the biggest hard time being kind toward and I have the biggest trouble showing mercy toward. Because they mean it's snakes, Lord, you know. <laughs> they lie. They, they come around and say, I got your back and they're, they're eating up my backside is what they're doing. I can't take my eye off of them because they're going to chew me up. God is not mocked. God is not mocked. God is not mocked. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, whatever a woman sows, that and that only shall he reap.
So if I'm looking at somebody who's as crooked as a dog's hind leg, (laughs) who's as sorry and mean and all those kind of things, and untrustworthy, you just you can just stash all the reasons why they don't need any kindness, Lord. But what if the Lord, as a part of this hope, somewhere or another, you look at them and you know those things are true, but it's somehow in your heart to sow a seed that God says He'll bless. A seed of kindness, a seed of mercy, a seed of forgiveness. And then what you've done, you've, you've released all the responsibility to the outcome back onto the Lord. You are resting in a promise of God, and God cannot lie, the Scripture says. So as I sow, and I do my best to keep sowing, sowing what I want to see back, sowing what I want the harvest to be, sowing what I have hope to believe the harvest can be because of what He's doing in me then amazing things can happen. Here's one. Sow humility. Sow the seed of humility. Here's where we get to one, one place that's mentioned in Scripture, 1 Peter 5, verse 6. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God so that he may exalt you at the proper time. The Lord doesn't run around just randomly exalting people. I'm going to pick that one, I'm going to pick that one, I'll pick that one, and ignore the rest. There's a way God does what God does with regard to the elevation of some and the remaining of others in the position, even sometimes They're devalued, in a sense, in their role. Because some folks understand what it is to humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. That means being willing to take the role of a servant. That means being willing to wait your turn. That means being willing to learn it down to the soul. Yes, sir. No, sir. Yes, ma'am. No man. Learning what it is, the, the mighty hand of God is one of those large encompassing terms that, is, that has to do with the, the big picture influences over our lives. Bosses, corporate structures. So I'm not talking about where some boss is trying to get you to do something immoral or doing something illegal. Then, then that, that's, the, that's a different category. Lord, I see that, and I'm not going to put my trust in having to bow down to this in order for my needs to be met. I'm walking away from that. I'm going to trust you. I'm still trusting you, but I know you're not wanting me to do that. Okay? But that's not the case in every situation all the time. Sometimes... Sometimes we just, we, just don't, we just don't want to say yes, sir. Sometimes we just don't want to wait. I, I'm, I'm struck every time I talk to leaders in business who have opportunity to hire and fire, to promote or just keep looking. Categorically, without exception, those who have authority 
are looking to share their authority with ones who will live and walk under authority. Do you hear that? If I'm going to give authority, I need to make sure that the one I'm going to give it to understands how to work and live under authority. If I find one, like that's what this is saying, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, under the coach, under the teacher, under the leader, under the trainer, under the whatever. Father, mother, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God so that the Lord will exalt you. You won't have to promote yourself. You won't have to push yourself. You don't have to have an ego the size of the Mississippi River. God will lift you up. God will lift, just like he did with Joseph. You know, Joseph went to bed in the jailhouse. He woke up the next morning and Pharaoh was calling him to the king's palace. And he never looked back. But God raised him up. Just want to dare you. We get restless. We get frustrated. We get, we get the thing that's not moving fast enough. not moving fast enough. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God so that he may exalt you at the proper time. He's got a time. He's watching. He's seeing. He knows how hard it is, how challenging it is. But it matters to him. The last thing I want to say in this matter of the law of the harvest is one that I just feel so strongly about and I, and I, I, I want to, whatever I can do to just encourage you, to invite you to step into this, become a generous person. Sow the seed of generosity. For God so loved the world that he gave the best he had to give. Think about it. His own blood, his only son, that the world would have an opportunity to be saved. From that premise, from that example, you and I are called to generosity in the things and the parts of our lives that are the most important to us. Luke 6, 38, give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, It'll spill over into your lap and onto your feet and onto the ground around. Sounds like that Malachi 3.10. Well, the Lord pleads with his people. You want to break through financially? You want to break through economically? Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. Food for who? Food for people who need food. Food for people who are widows or orphans or who are going through difficult times so that there may be food in my house. And then he says, test me now in this. Test me now in this and see if when you do that, you bring the first 10% to me, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing too great to be contained. I want to invite you Couples, individuals, business owners, startup business, whatever you are, whatever you are, wherever economics touch you, at whatever level, whatever stream of revenue, I want to invite you to prove the law of the harvest in that part of your life.
step out on that promise. Lord, I'm not waiting till every other bill is paid, and then if I have enough left, I'll flip you a quarter. God knows your math. He knows when he's getting scraps, when he's getting leftovers. And brother, sister, he knows when it's coming off the top. I don't want to invite you to set it as a practice. And I believe it's the wisest financial investment you'll ever make. You set it as a practice to honor the Lord, sow the seed, give him something to bless. Sometimes I wonder, Lord, why aren't you doing anything? Why aren't you helping me? We hadn't given him anything to bless. We're spending it all on ourselves. The law, God is not mocked. He's not going to be mocked. He's not writing separate rules for situations and people. It's just whatever a man sows, whatever a woman sows, that and that only. So if it's whatever the, wherever the area is of your life where there is lack, that's the area above any other area, every other area, where you need to sow some seeds. Does that make sense? Give him something to bless. And he says, test me now in this. I'll give you permission. There, there is, there, I don't know of any other category in Scripture where that is ever stated that way by the Lord. Lord, I'm going to give you, write you this 10% check, and I'm going to keep writing this 10% check, and I'm going to watch and see what you do. Instead of that being a sin, the Lord invites that. He says, test me. And the reason I think he says it is because he knows how close money and financial provision is really to our peace of mind. He's just saying, trust me. You watch. You watch. You watch. You watch, child. I'm a good father. And I will prove to you you can trust me with your finances. Why hope keeps hoping? Because the law of the harvest is true. And it bears witness in the child of God. The Lord has said that I've sown and in time the harvest will come. Hope keeps hoping because love is hope. Hope keeps hoping because God is the God of hope. Would anybody say, I think it went 18 inches today, preacher. I think it might have gone from here to here. Anybody say that? You see, these things only help if they're profited by faith. We can hear all the Bible teaching and all the principles and all, the, all those kinds of things in the world but if we close up our notebook and shut our Bibles and never even think about it again until next Sunday or maybe never, then we shouldn't be surprised if nothing happens. But where there is a hunger, Lord, feed me. Lord, what I've heard from you, from you, from your word, by your spirit, make it real in me. Make it real in me. He will honor that. He will honor that. I believe it. I believe it. I believe it. He will honor that. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, whatever a lady sows, that and that only is what he will reap, she will reap.